Do those kids have any idea you're driving Lyft after school? Yeah, they do, actually. Do they? Yeah. I make $36,000 a year on a master's degree. I have $70,000 in student loans, and I can't afford to pay them. Are teachers in Arizona able to make a middle-class living? I felt that the answer was no. This is Tammy Kim, a writer based in New York. I met a lot of teachers who had roommates, who had second and third jobs. So they might do early childhood education, child care, tutoring. Um, I heard from a number of teachers that there are some apps where you can coach kids in China in English. So they were doing that on the side. Then there's a sort of classic gig economy side hustles like Uber. So um, I guess by the definition of middle class that we're used to, that probably would not qualify. Kim wrote about teachers struggling to earn middle-class wages for the Heckinger Report. And her reporting took her to Arizona, where she covered the teacher strikes there this spring. Some of the trends I think that they were complaining about and that we saw coming up in the teacher strikes are national, certainly. And today in West Virginia, the teacher strike continues, with every public school in the state closed for day eight. Almost 20,000 teachers from all across the state are taking part in the very first statewide teacher strike in West Virginia history. And so if you look at what happened in Oklahoma and Kentucky and Arizona, they were really picking up the cues um, from teachers in West Virginia who had used Facebook, for instance, to start the ball rolling. There was a great story that was told in Oklahoma where the guy who set up the Facebook group there basically set it up, went to sleep, and the next morning had tens of thousands of members in that group. Today, thousands of teachers in Oklahoma walked off their jobs and marched on the statehouse. All of these states have a lot of things in common, which are they're very conservative states. Um, They're states that have been Republican-dominated and where a lot of tax cuts have occurred. Um, They're states generally where teacher unions are very, very weak, Um, except for Kentucky, they're right-to-work states. Thousands of teachers protested today in Oklahoma and Kentucky, demanding higher wages and more resources for students. It is the latest in a series of teacher walkouts that seem to be growing across red states. Basically, teachers found that only by striking, only by showing their force in this way, would they be able to sort of move the needle for themselves. And I think we're finally finding our voice. I think teachers are, by nature, caring people, and they do whatever it takes. But we're tired of it, and we, we are uh, speaking across the country, Oklahoma, Arizona, West Virginia. We are now starting a movement across the country that our profession should be valued. From APM Reports, this is Educate, a podcast in collaboration with The Heckinger Report. I'm Stephen Smith. On this episode of the podcast, we're talking with writer Tammy Kim about what led up to the teacher strikes that grew across the United States during the last school year. She'll also predict where strikes might take place in the coming school year. So when was the last time teachers made enough money to put them in the middle class? It's really hard to say. I got different responses from people in Arizona because it's such a subjective question. But certainly they felt that the breaking point has been over the past 10 to 15 years, again, with the recession, but also with the Republican gospel in the state, which is that only tax cuts are ever appropriate. Um, If you look at the average wages, and again, there's a huge range um, depending on the district that you're in, um, there has been a significant drop in Arizona since even the late 1990s. Um, So, for instance, Arizona right now, if you look at the averages, the teacher pay is um, about $47,000. And so we're looking now at, for instance, in some of the rural districts, people making in the 30s. Um, So, you know, if you have children, if you have a mortgage, that's really not something that you can live on. 
Tell us about what you heard from teachers at the protests in Phoenix. What were they demanding? So about 75,000 teachers were gathered in Phoenix, and I followed a contingent from Flagstaff um, a little bit north. The teachers were demanding pay raises, to be sure. That was sort of what um, had initially um, brought them all together. But they were also demanding recognition of people who aren't categorized as teachers, so support staff, psychologists, nurses, librarians. They wanted um, dignity for them, raises for them. They were concerned about class sizes and learning quality for students as well. Uh, Now, are very many teachers leaving the profession in Arizona because of low pay? It's hard to understand for sure what's happening, but I did speak with a researcher at Arizona State University who thought that the low pay was contributing to the attrition. Um, There has been also a decreased enrollment in education programs, about 20 percent in Arizona's three public universities since the recession. A Stanford professor had found that attrition, especially since the recession, has been quite high um, and that um, teachers are complaining about low wages and um, inability to advance. Um, We're also seeing um, a lot more support for charterization, a lot more support for, quote-unquote, school choice. So all of that can sort of affect teacher morale. Um, Also, a trend since the 90s has been performance-based compensation. And so what the expectation was in the earlier part of the 20th century was that a teacher job is a very sort of standardized um, public sector job where you had a salary scale where you could kind of depend and go up in steps. Um, And that certainty, both in terms of pay and benefits, is no longer there. I left teaching um, solely because of the income. Jennifer Vetter taught kindergarten and first grade special education in Gilbert, Arizona. It was my lifelong dream. I always wanted to be a special ed teacher since I was a little girl. Jennifer was working as a program manager at an orthodontic residency program when she got a full scholarship to get her master's in education. And um, so I pursued that, and it took me two and a half years. I sold my house um, so that I would be able to student teach because you have to do that for a semester and you don't get paid. Um, So I sold my house, and thankfully, you know, I gladly did it because this is the career that I wanted to pursue. And um, once I was hired on uh, and got my first pay- first couple paychecks with everything taken out, it, it was an absolute shock to me. Jennifer did the math. After health care costs, deductions for taxes and her pension, and the number of hours she was working, sometimes 10 or more hours per day, Jennifer was making about $6 an hour. I was pulling money out of savings. And then I had to start pulling money out of 401k. Um, I, I made $300 a week. So when I have two kids, there was no way to support a household on $300 a week in Gilbert, Arizona. There's just, there's not. My rent is $1,200. Jennifer returned to her prior job at the orthodontistry program, where she takes home in one month what she made in three as a special education teacher. What needs to happen is education needs to be a priority. It, it needs to not be looked at as an easy job, you know, that is a part-time job. It is an incredibly hard job. Teachers don't get the summer off. They still work during the summer, and people don't understand that. They think it's just a part-time job where it, it's easy, and women do it, and they love kids, so they'll put up with whatever they have to. Um, that needs to change. That mindset needs to change. Um, teachers need to be compensated. If it was a male-dominated profession, teachers would be paid different. 
About three-fourths of K-12 teachers are women. So how does that factor into teacher salaries? Is that something that uh, is helping to keep them lower than teachers would like? Um, A long time ago, before public education was very standard, most teachers were men um, and generally enjoyed um, more support. (laughs) Um, Once teaching became um, feminized and sort of standardized and democratized, available to everyone, it was kind of undervalued both because it was a feminine profession, but also because it was available to the rich and poor and was sort of um, this kind of public good. Um, Teacher... Unions have, in response to that, really emphasized professionalization. So even the existence of the union that's active in Arizona, the National Education Association, um, that doesn't have, you know, teacher or worker really in the title. Um, There was an effort to sort of cast teachers as professionals, as skilled workers who were deserving of high wages. The Supreme Court has just dealt a huge blow to organized labor. In a 5-4 decision, the court ruled government workers cannot be charged for the cost of collective bargaining if they choose not to join a union. There was a big Supreme Court decision this summer affecting public sector unions. What effect do you think that's going to have on strikes and protests this fall? So it's interesting. I mean, for me, Arizona was sort of a case study in what you do when you're already a right-to-work state. And so the Janus case, the Supreme Court case that came down, is now transforming nationwide um, states, even in states with very strong unions, into states that are now essentially right-to-work for their public employees. Um, I think in states like New York, for instance, where I live, where the teachers' unions are very strong, we could see more direct actions um, in order to survive because— The Supreme Court case has reduced the amount of money that unions are going to be able to collect from workers. Unions and union members are really going to have to go out into the streets and organize their people to convince them and say, hey, this is really good for you. This is really good for us. You need to pay into the system and you need to get active in the organizing. So that could potentially lead to work stoppages. And where do you think the next protests will be and why those places? So people have been predicting and sort of judging from um, what Teachers are saying in surveys and online um, that Colorado, Nevada, North Carolina would be some of the states where the next actions might occur. They do have in common with the states that have already struck um, quite weak unions, um, state-controlled decisions on state spending. So those are sort of, those seem to be sort of the factors that are contributing to the act, kinds of actions we saw last school year. Um, the reason that the public education system has been such a site of contestation is because it's really the only public good that's sort of shared at the state and local level in these places. And so these are places where a lot of the infrastructure for healthcare, for other social services is extremely weak. And if it comes at all, is really coming down from the federal government. So public education is kind of the place where the public converges, where people are having these conversations about what should be um, a shared burden. And I think that's why these strikes have been so impassioned. Story of the day, they protested for weeks demanding higher pay, and now Governor Ducey listening to our Arizona teachers. The governor just proposing 20% pay raises by the year 2020. Our Steve so Irvin after the protests, the governor of Arizona agreed to raise teacher salaries, what, by 20% by the year 2020? Uh, what did teachers say? Was that enough for them? So it wasn't enough on a couple of counts. So this is now a bill that has gone through the legislature and been signed by Governor Ducey. um, And it promises, as you said, 20 percent by 2020. The catch being that there aren't any new revenue increases that are attached to this. And so where exactly that money would come from is entirely unclear. In addition, it only applies to teachers, um, not support staff. 
and it um, only applies to certain teachers. And so if you look at the projections for the various districts, in some districts, people would get 20% or a little bit above 20%. But in other districts, it could be as low as 15%. So did teachers claim the strike as a win or as a sort of a passed ball? Well, what the teachers did in response to the 20 for 20 plan is come up with their own plan. Um, They collected 270,000 signatures and submitted them earlier this month in the beginning of July. Um, It's called the Invest in Ed Bill. And what that would do is um, increase the marginal tax rates for very high earners in the state. So we're talking about people who make over $250,000 a year or for couples over $500,000 a year. They would have um, a few percentage points increase in their tax. And teachers believe that this is really the way to go because based on that um, and what they've projected and the way they would spend that money, that would bring um, both teachers and support staff and non-teachers under the benefits of this. And just to be clear, this is a bill, not a public referendum. Yeah, the Invest in Education um, petitioning process basically put it to a vote that will happen this November. What's the likelihood of uh, that Invest in Education proposal passing? I think it's a pretty big lift. Um, Obviously, Arizona voters tend to vote quite conservatively, although I think the teachers' strike has shown that that is contingent, and it sort of depends. A lot of teachers are now engaged in political organizing and even running for office in Arizona and the other states where strikes transpired. Um, There was a poll in the beginning of June that showed that the overwhelming majority of Arizonans did support the general propositions of the Invest in Education bill. Jennifer Vetter, the former special education teacher, hopes greater investment in Arizona schools and teachers will come in time to benefit her son. He's halfway through his master's program in education. And I've, I've asked him a couple of times, are you sure this is what you want to do? And he's dead set on it. He loves it. It's his passion. So, you know, Godspeed. Um, I know he'll be successful because he's a really good teacher. Um... And he's starting out young, so he'll be able to build his pay up. But it, it's a hard road. It, you're, you're basically signing up to be poor. That's it for this episode. Are you a teacher? If so, tell us what you think. And if not, still tell us what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Educate Podcast, or you can send us a note to contact at apmreports.org. A few episodes back, we talked about the decline in liberal arts majors at public universities. On Twitter, a user named Plum80 tweeted us that she was concerned the episode didn't include student voices. She specifically wanted to hear women, people of color, and low-income students weigh in on the value of a liberal arts education. She wrote, College is a job ticket for a lot of people, and without talking about how minorities and women need to work harder for the same pay, it just makes it sound like the liberal arts could save everyone, and it doesn't. What do you think? Let us know. Our Twitter handle is at Educate Podcast, one word. We'll be back in two weeks to talk with Wyoming Public Radio reporter Tennessee Watson about what school is like for children of migrant farm workers and about a little-known program that helps those kids stay in school and get to graduation. Alex Baumhart and Chris Julin produced the podcast. This episode was mixed by Veronica Rodriguez. We partner with The Heckinger Report, a nonprofit independent news organization focused on inequality and innovation in education. Support for APM Reports comes from Lumina Foundation and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. Hey, Educate listeners. I'm Sabrina Duqueney. 
I'm Taylor McGraw. And we're co-hosts of a podcast about segregation in New York City high schools called Miseducation. Sabrina is one of our star student interns who's been investigating the deep inequities that define this public school system. Let me take you back. Three years ago, City Hall Chambers, 100 Black and Hispanic teenagers file into the back of the room wearing black gloves on their fists. And one by one... We stand up and we started talking and the security came in, they kicked us out. They were even trying to arrest some of us. After that, we all chant civil rights matter. What were they protesting? What happened next? To find out, check out episode three, Who Gets to Play? You can subscribe to Miss Education wherever you get podcasts and follow us on social media at Miss Education Pod.